Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Remain standing, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter two. Appreciate the worship team. Acts chapter 2, find the 40th verse. Did you know that when Scripture was penned under the inspiration and God breathed through men, holy men of God, that they did not put numbers? Did you know that? They didn't like put verse. You know that was added later. Y'all know that. Okay, very good. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 Nobody moving around, please, as we honor God's word in these seven verses. Are you ready? With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Reading from the New International Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Read that last verse. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, thank you. Move in power. May we never be the same. I thank you for what you did in the first service. Now I pray in the second that you would take a coal from your altar, you place it upon my lips, that as I would preach, as I would speak, as I would teach, it would burn faith in the hearts of each and every person here, and the effects of it would be far-reaching even to eternity. Come on, put your hand on your own heart. I pray, God, for each and every one of us to have ears to hear and hearts to respond. Let your word come alive. You send it forth that does not return void. Perform your good pleasure in us, in this house, in this church, those online, and those that will listen in the future. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Come on, turn to a couple people and say, oh yeah, it's going to be good. Go on. Come on, turn to somebody else and say, have you lost weight? Go ahead and say that. Have you lost weight? My gosh. My gosh. You've lost weight, haven't you? We've been in a series called The Victorious Church, and there's so many scriptures and so many messages you could bring with that title, The Victorious Church. What I've been trying to do, asking God to give me a grace to communicate, to let you know that the church is not some feeble thing, that, 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 that there's a shrivel up little club, that we just gather together and hope that we feel better, no. We, the church is to be filled with, the church is people, it's not buildings, say that. The church is people, it's not buildings. And if people are filled, God's attention that it would be victorious, but a church to be victorious must be filled with victorious people. Somebody paid me one of the best compliments I've ever heard in the middle of the service. 
uh, pardon me, between services. And really it was paid over all of us. They said, man, you got grit. You know, the church should have grit. The church should have stamina and perseverance. Come on and say, Lord, give me more grit. It's not a little reed. It's blown by the wind. So this text is a beautiful passage, which I've preached from dozens of times, hundreds of times perhaps. And it's an aspect of really showing what a victorious church looks like. Because sometimes we say, well, man, my church is on fire. I've had people say that to me, and I believe it to be true. But what does that mean? If a church is on fire, what does that mean? If a church is a victorious church, what does that mean? I mean, what is a church? And I've given you some definitions. I've talked about the altar of incense. I talked about the church should tell the truth. Everybody say, tell the truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. I preached on human sexuality and the really defining it from Scripture in Romans 1. Very aggressive message that I expected to be kicked off of Facebook and YouTube, but they must not have heard it or we've been given a pass. We have a plan to, if they kick us off, go to the website. We have our own stream. So if you find on YouTube and Facebook and Spotify, hey, what happened to Kings Alaska? Well, we just, we like saying things they don't like and we're going to continue to say them, and then if we get canceled, we're canceling them, and we continue on. Can you say amen? Yeah. Oh, cancel culture? No thanks. So we might end up getting canceled, but how many of you know that must mean we're actually getting stronger? So that particular message, I expected us to get the boot, uh, but didn't happen, so we'll just keep bringing the wood and, and having a fire. But that message was very intense, and I, I prayed that God would give me a, a real love and a grace to communicate. He said, what message is that? I had people pull me aside and say, that, Pastor, was the best message you have ever preached that I've ever heard in all the years I've been here. I thought, really? Wow. That's the grace of God. Come on, somebody say, that's God's grace. It's called Tell the Truth. It's on YouTube. Like, comment, share, push it all over because the church must tell the truth. A victorious church must tell the truth. And in most places, I, I have to correct myself, I, it's in many places the church teaches pop psychology to improve yourself. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to preach pop psychology. I might sow principles that you'll find in psychology, but they're found in the word first. And I'm not against psychology, biblical psychology, I'm not against. I'm not against that. I think there's tremendous help that can come through counseling. I've gotten counsel that's really helped me. Some of you need to go. And I've, I've received help. I've received healing. So has Pastor Karen. And that's a beautiful thing. Biblical counseling. Biblical psychology. Powerful. Especially when it flows through anointed hands. And then the gifts of the Spirit operating in a counseling session where God's able to unveil some things and show you the roots of why you think the way you do or a bondage that you might have that you've not been able to see it. That is powerful. But just to tell you that we're here for self-help, I'm never going to say that because it's not true. I'm here, for, I'm here to help you kill yourself, your, your, your fallen human nature. Everybody say, my fallen human nature. And don't, don't read that. Don't hear that wrong. And to become that new creature, that new creation in God who learns how to rightly divide the word, who learns how to pray, who learns how to fulfill the highest call in your life. The highest call in your life is becoming like Jesus. 
tell the truth. Go ahead and check that out when you get the chance. And so for my personal last Sunday morning, I'm preaching a message based on Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 47, and many other scriptures, the Spirit-filled church. Because we, that's what we are. Somebody says, what kind of church are you? We're a Spirit-filled church. Okay. We believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We believe in the power of God. We believe in divine healing, and on and on and on. If you want to find out all the doctrine, just go to our website. You can read through it, 16 Fundamental Truths. We are affiliated with the Assemblies of God, but they don't own us. I hope that didn't come out right. We, we, we're, we are sovereign. We love the assemblies. It's, the, it's the, the best thing in town, if I could say it that way. But how many of you know, there's no perfect church or perfect organization. If you find it, don't go because you'll ruin it. And there have been some places where well-meaning people, how many of you know if you're deceived, you're deceived? It's hard to know the truth if you're deceived, hence the definition of deception. And there's been well-meaning leaders across denominational lines, including denominations, that have done things to harm the church. But it was the enemy using them through strongholds they had and misunderstanding. And so we are affiliated in the cooperative fellowship of the Assemblies of God. If for some reason, God forbid, they would then say, you're going to do same-sex marriage, we would say, aloha. We are moving on, and we will no longer... You understand? All right. This text is, is beautiful and intense in so many ways, and it gives us a clear picture of what the first century church is like. It gives us a snap, a snap of what the first... I mean, how, many, how many photos do you have on your phone? Does anybody know? I, I happen to find out on mine, over 32,000 photographs on my phone right now. Now, if you have a lot of pictures and most of them are you, you want to just keep coming here, just keep coming, and, uh, and, and get healed of taking your selfies. This is a snapshot of the victorious church and what it looks like. It's a picture of the first spirit-filled church. Now, the first spirit-filled church, the first church is made of Jews. It's made of Jews exclusively who come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, I'm right in your notes. And if you don't have notes and you'd like them, ushers would assist you and help you. You just raise your hand. They'll bring that to you. All the early believers in Jesus were Jewish. Right in your notes. They realized that they were entering the fulfillment of Judaism's, the Messianic community. So there were Jews that believed on Jesus as the Messiah and in believing on him as Messiah entered into what is then what we then call messianic believers. Some say completed Jews is another picture of that and is being brought into this community this day of Pentecost 3000 people get saved. You say well what what would that be like? Well the text tells us. The entire book of Acts tells the story of how the church became spirit filled how it grew, how it incorporated Jews, but not just Jews. It then became incorporating the Samaritans through Philip. And persecution came. Philip goes to Samaria. Samaritans were not Jews. They were like half Jewish, half something else. They, they were considered half-breeds. And there was certainly racism. And in fact, if you go and look in the book of John, Jesus said he must needs, King James, he had to go to Samaria. But many rabbis would go around Samaria. That's how much they hated them. Listen, racism is not new. 
And, they, and so he, he, they would go around, but he went right through it. And so Samaritans start getting saved. And not just then, Cornelius' household and, and Gentiles. Gentiles is everybody, but it, there's Jews and Gentiles. Jews and everybody else. So Gentiles are the everybody else. And soon they're brought in. And, and then they have to restructure things. You know, we're in the process of restructuring. You are? Yeah. To run this service just to ushers alone. There's a, approximately eight ushers. We need, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's a good number for, for here in this smaller sanctuary. We need at least 16 in our new building. Where do they come from? Sign up today. Amen. We need, a, we need a duplication, multiplication. We've changed leadership structures, and we will. Come on, some of you. How many of you have a large family, maybe? It's like more than three kids. So when you have your first kid, you know, beautiful, praise the Lord, changes your life. And you know, that works usually with the car that you have. Or truck. You get two kids, three kids, four kids, get to four, get to five, five kids. You're, you're in a van now. There needs to be a structural change in your family. The same is true with the church as it grows. What would that be like when 3,000 people got added to the church? It didn't say 3,000 people visited. It says 3,000 people. Now, it could be, it could be six. It could be 20,000 people. If you, they didn't count women. They didn't count children. 3,000 added to the church means that they're born again. They received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. They received the Messiah, and they got saved. Their name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and they're now a part. How do you, how do you bring 3,000 people in at one time? I don't know, but I'm hoping to find out. Maybe tonight. We have room. We're already planning for overflow. One day's notice on last Sunday. One day, we found out Saturday we could have Sunday there, Sunday night only. Well, we had occupancy of 1,000. We didn't move there Sunday morning because we didn't have place for the kids. And whether you realize it or not, that King's Kids over there is a very, very important ministry. In fact, that and the youth. Why? Because if you don't have that and you don't have a move of God in children and you don't have a move of God with youth, you'll have no church in about 20 years. You, it'll just be us geezers. <laughs> he said, oh, that's the last church I came from. That's because they didn't pour into raising up a generation, which we're not making that mistake. So they wouldn't allow us to have children there. And so basically the argument, and they were so gracious to us at the fire department this week, they gave us occupancy to the whole lower part, which allows us to have King's kids there, which means we can go over there and have churches. There's a, a number of things that have to happen. We've got some punch list items. But on the 12th, we will move in there. Why would you do that? Because it's important. And so we're planning for overflow. Why? Because people have been waiting for seven years to be some longer like me to get into this building. All right, Luke describes the aspects of the first spirit-filled church, because this is what we want to be like. If you want to define this, and somebody says spirit-filled, that means you pray in tongues. No. It includes that. Some of you got scared for a second. <laughs> but it's more than that. It's more than just they prayed in tongues. It's more than just the gifts or the spirit are there. It's much more. This is what a spirit-filled church looks like. Gives us a snapshot. Gives us a picture. And this is what we want to be like. And I, I, I think I can safely say uh, that we are like this. But we need to grow in this. We need to grow in these areas. All right, look, look at number one. Luke describes the aspect of a, of a spirit-filled church in Jerusalem 
and then we need to embrace it. Number one, it was a learning church. Everybody say it. It was what? It was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You, me, us, we, the church, needs to devote themselves to the Word. You need to devote yourself to reading the Word, to learning the Word, to growing in the Word, memorizing Scripture. You, you need to teach your kids. You know, I've gone back to school and uh, I took the semester off because <laughs> uh, the Lord let me. I, 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 I just, I, I didn't have faith for it. And the Lord said, it's fine. Just get back to it in the fall. And so I took a break. Pastor Karen, however, signed up for one. She says, I can do one. I'm like, it just, okay, praise the Lord. I, I felt challenged, but I just couldn't do it. I just didn't have faith to do it. And I'm glad I didn't, honestly. It never worked so hard along with so many others. Now, Pastor, Pastor Karen's taken one class in hermeneutics. And she, would, she sits there. She works up till 2 in the morning. She does all the stuff that she has to do for, for her responsibility here at the church, which is vast. Looking after me would be vast enough, but there's a lot more than that. And she's up till 2 in the morning studying. Why, why would she do that? Because she's devoted herself to learn and to grow in the Word. And so we're having these conversations, and I just, part of me regrets not, not taking another class because of how it stirs me. If you're not stirred by the Word, you're missing something. So I'm not out of the Encyclopedia Britannica or Reader's Digest this morning, or Psychology Today. We're studying the Word. And the first century church, a Spirit-filled church, devotes, devoted or a church today, spirit-filled, will devote themselves to teaching, to sound biblical truth. That's why I couldn't let that song go by. Kings and kingdoms may all pass. No, no. They will pass. They shall pass. It shall come to pass. In the end, every knee may bow. Oh, no. Every knee will bow. So you have to be careful where things that come in. And if you don't study the word, then you'll settle for a counterfeit. And, and I'm going to be responsible for how I teach and preach to you. That, like, they need to change that. I mean, we should, it, maybe, this, maybe the songwriter wrote it that way. So we should just send to them, say, you lying devils. Hallelujah. If you're here for any length of time, you realize that I preach from the Old Testament a lot. And I preach from the New Testament. I don't just preach from the New Testament, and I will tell you that if you just hear preaching and teaching from the New Testament and you don't hear from the Old Testament, you are being sorely ripped off. The Old Testament is certainly current. It's a picture book types and shadows of New Testament reality, and you look at the New Testament, how many times do they reference the Old Testament? Yet I've had people say, no, we're in the New Testament, we're New Covenant, I'm not preaching or teaching from the Old. Well, good for you. You're dumb. If you don't understand the Old Testament and, and the New together, then you won't, you'll, ha you'll be limited in your understanding about who God is. And I'll quote C.S. Lewis, who, who you believe God to be is the most important thought you have in your head. So if in your head you have a thought about God that actually isn't true based on Scripture, then you will sorely be affected in a negative way. You need to know who God is according to His Word, not according to your emotions, not, a, not according to your experience. I've had people tell me, well, there's no, there's no tongues anymore. 
Well, why would you say that? Because I don't have them. Oh, okay. Because you don't have them, does that mean they don't exist, oh mighty man? So then you're, you, you begin to judge. You say, well, I haven't seen anybody raised from the dead. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I've never seen anybody healed. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. In fact, it's too late for me. I've seen all of that. And may we see more. I've just seen a little fraction of it, I think. But even if I didn't see it, you've got to learn and know the word so you know what the standard is. If you, confident assurance of what we cannot see, faith is acting on God's word. So if you don't learn God's word, how are you going to have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you don't learn the word, how will you know to contend against cancer? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you learning the word? All right. If you've been offended, I'm glad. I don't want to offend you on purpose. I want you to have com be comforted. I don't want to be too hot in here, which is getting there. Hint, hint. We've got nice, comfortable chairs. I want you to be comfortable. I want you to have enough space and all of that. But I'm going to preach the word, and if you don't like it, go talk to God about it. Got to, got to learn the word. Everybody say learn the word. All right. And look at number two. A caring and loving fellowship. You'll see that devoted themselves to the apostle. Verse 42. Devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to? And to what? Fellowship. Everybody say fellowship. All right, God, that's not the name of a boat. Fellowship is, is the word koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. There is koinonitis, which is a church disease. It's also called 99-itis. Koinonitis, 99-itis, do you know what that is? That's when people have so much fellowship with each other and nobody ever reaches the lost. That's a church disease. But fellowship is that which can be had between two believers. You cannot have fellowship, real koinonia, with the world, because it, it doesn't exist. There's something that happens when you spend time with other believers. Now, you need to spend time with unbelievers too for the purpose of bringing them into the church, for the purpose of witnessing to them. We'll get to that. The, the, the Spirit-filled church, the first Spirit-filled church, devoted themselves to learning God's Word, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. Are you devoted to fellowship? Do you purposely spend time with other believers to, to, to fellowship, to, to talk to one another, to get to know people? I've said this so many times before. One of the reasons we're growing at such a wonderful rate and, and, then, not, and, and then retaining people is that people actually are developing friends here. You guys like each other. You say, well, I don't like them too much, but I have to love them. That's true. I agree. I understand. Come on, somebody say, I understand. But fellowship's crucial. Devoted to fellowship? Wow. And I found this. This is a church uh, growth statistic. If people don't find fellowship and build friends within this house, a part of this church, they will no longer be here. In time, they will, they will you, we need each other. I, I, I said in the first service, I'll say it again. There's going to come a time where you're going to need somebody to lean on. There will come a time where somebody's going to need you to lean on. Lean on me when you're not strong. Now be your friend. 
Lord, it won't be long. I'm gonna somebody to leave. You gotta. Need singing people, you just might. We all need somebody. Oh, singing, lean on me. Oh, <laughs> come on, put your hands together for Jesus. That's a fact. It's not a Christian song. I'm offended that you're playing. It's, it's Christian revelation, though. <laughs> I look back on my life, and I, I thank God that somehow, not through any great virtue of myself or my wife, but we just, we knew that the church is a place where there's life. And it was the biggest party in town, and we were kind of wired that way. We wanted to go have fun. We're young adults. Woo! And the church was full of woo! Power! Man, the Holy Spirit touched me. He healed me. I don't have the backdrop anymore. Woo! It was a lot of fun. And then you meet other people. And, and then there came a time in our life when we really needed somebody to lean on. And I'll tell you that we war not against flesh and blood. And the Apostle Paul in Ephesians defines this Roman armor. And people think, well, I've got on the armor of God. I'm good. The strength of the Roman army was not in their armor, although that was a part of it. The strength of the Roman army was that they fought together for a whole lifetime. So you had a guy on the right and a guy on the left, and they knew each other and how they fought. The strength of the church is, is, is one of the strengths of the church is that we don't quit on each other. We don't, we don't get offended. We get over it. We get healed. We get through it, and we can lean on one another and stand and Jesus said in John 17, they will know you by your love for one another. And in the last days, the Bible says, the love of many will grow cold. I'm so glad for my church family. And you know something you guys love well. Some of you are newer. You might haven't experienced it yet because you still got your kung fu on. You're not sure because the last church you went to, they kicked you in the groin and looked at you and laughed. But now, well, that's kind of aggressive. Pastor Karen better get back in the service. Pastor Karen, help! Wow. Loving. A caring, loving fellowship. It was a giving church. Moving on. Giving church. They were, they were giving. Now, this is interesting. It's not communism. They all shared and nobody had any needs. Communism. Said that they all shared. Listen, if I want to share with you, I share with you. And, and I'm a generous man, and my wife is generous. That's, an, that's part of the a mark of a Christian is actually that you're generous. If you're stingy, you're probably bound by a spirit of poverty. And if you have that, you'll never have revival. You'll never have an outpouring of the spirit. If you're, if you're tight-fisted all the time, and you're just cheap, you're never going to see the abundance of God. I got like three amens, and the other people are like, oh me, or oh my, I don't know what y'all are saying. I'm just telling you, that's the truth. And you see when somebody gets born again like a Zacchaeus, we little man was he, climbed up a tree to see Jesus. Jesus goes to his house. He gets touched. He says, salvation's come to your house. What's the immediate response? I'm going to pay everybody back I ripped off. I'm going to give up to half. It's just this generosity overflows. That's what happens. Come on, lift your hands to heaven while I try to remember where I'm at. 
It's a giving church. Okay, thanks. And, and it's not communism. You know what communism is? That means you all give, everybody has to give, fork over the high percentage so everybody has, and we share everything in common. That's not what this is. And communism will take that scripture. They'll take that. And they'll take that and say, then everybody needs to be in common. No. It is not a biblical. They gave, they didn't make them give. They gave out of their own heart, their own, as the Spirit led them. And Ananias and Sapphira were liars to try to get the attention, the credit from the congregation. Now, we're to be a, we're to be a giving church. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. We're to be a giving church. To be a what? A giving church. It was a worshiping church. There's a couple different aspects of this. Worship is more, the very word worship in, the, in Romans is lurteo, and I'm sure I'm mispronouncing it, doctor. Lurteo means service. It doesn't mean you're singing. It means an act of service is worship. So really, prayer is worship. Serving is worship. Back there, those children, kings, kids, servants back there, they're worshiping by helping your kids. And some of you know. That's a real act of worship. <laughs> Worshiping church. They took the Lord's Supper. You'll see that. And, I, and I, I said in the first service, I'll say again, every single home here ought to be prepared and take communion. Take communion in your house. He said, well, I thought that's for the priest. You are a priest. So I don't know how to do it. Learn. Because it is powerful. It's a covenant meal. I believe that every house should have some oil in your house where you're going to lay hands on the sick with it. Only thing I got is motor oil. Motor oil will work. <laughs> what, about, what about corn oil? Yeah, corn oil will work. I don't have no juice. Use water. He turned the water into wine. It's all right. Take communion in your house. I'd encourage you to do it. Do it periodically. You can do it. I know some people do it every day. They take communion every day. They examine their heart. We all ought to examine our hearts every day. I don't think we need to be legalistic and say take communion every day, but there's healing in communion. There's power in the Lord's Supper, which is also called communion. It's a declaration of what Jesus has done, a declaration of what he's, he's going to do, and he's going to come back. It's a powerful declaration, remembering him. So the Lord's Supper is an act of worship. Praying together is an act of worship. Might even be the highest form of worship, says one of my friends. In Acts 4, they're threatened. They have a prayer meeting. In Acts 12, Peter is arrested. One of the homes, they have a prayer meeting all night. Prayer is an act of worship. Wow. The third part of being a worshiping community, to being a, a first century spirit-filled, like the first century spirit-filled church, today a spirit-filled church should have prayer meetings. Dr. Morocco, he says this to me. I, I don't know where we were. I think we were in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, we were looking at a, a bulletin. And you remember those? So we're looking at a bulletin, and he, sa and he sees all the prayer times. He says, you know, Pastor Daniel, I... You know God's moving in a, in a church when you see how many prayer meetings they have. He says, that's how I judge whether God's moving in a church. If you judge your family by how God's moving in your family, would you then see how many prayer meetings you have personally and individually or corporately as a family? So we don't do that too good. We'll change. Come on, somebody. We'll change. And, and the other thing is that a corporate prayer meeting is not the same thing as an individual prayer meeting. 
And I've said it over and over and over. There is one of the reasons you've seen God do so many things here, and it is the Genesis. If you just got here, you didn't miss anything. Okay, maybe you did miss a little thing, but the, the, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And these prayer meetings have birthed it all. You say, but there's only like 60 of us there. Well, there were used to be three. It's going to grow. Come on, somebody say prayer. So the, the first century church, the spirit-filled church, the way that we ought to be is to be a church that, that prays, prays together. They met every day. Somebody said, you don't meet every day. Yes, we do. You're just not there. We meet at morning prayer every single morning, seven days a week. It's not just a Friday night prayer, and I'm not against Friday night prayer. We, have, we, have, we need too much help. I don't know. We need a lot of help, so we meet every day. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, do it all over again. Every day there's prayer. Every day we're meeting, people are meeting in homes. Every day. This is what a, a, a real move of the Spirit of God in a region, this is what happens. And it begins to explode. And it could be, I'm telling you, I do not know what will happen tonight. There are people that are so hungry, longing for, I've got people that I've witnessed to for years. And then unsolicited, they stop me in the stores. Hey, pastor, I wish I could remember their name. Jesus, help me. Help me, God. Help me remember people's names. The most beautiful sound to any person is the sound of their name. Help me, Lord. They say, Pastor, I'm coming. I said, you coming? He said, yeah, when you open, I'm coming. You know how many times I've heard that? We haven't done even, no advertising. 900 people, no advertising. What happens when we advertise? What happens when people find out we're open? We don't even have a sign up. There's no sign. Where is it? I ordered it like 100 years ago, and they're waiting for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's on the, the barge, I guess. Oh, and when the cross goes up. Oh. oh. You're not ready. You're not ready. I'm just telling you, you're not ready. I'm not ready. I'm telling you, we ain't ready. We ain't ready. How are you going to get ready? Every single person here has to get activated. Come on. Be nice. Greet some people you don't know. Jump on a team. What happens if 3,000 people come on that first Sunday? Will they instantly go to overflow? I wish we made the sanctuary bigger on one hand. On the other hand, we'll just have more services. We did it according to our faith. <laughs> my, my, my. Come on, lift your hands to heaven and say, my God, help this is a picture of what a spirit-filled church should be. And in most churches, John, Evangelist John and Anna Duke on the front row, great to have you home. You travel around and, and you see most people just have a Sunday morning. Now, some of the, most of the churches you go to probably have multiple services. But most churches, many churches across the land, they only have one. They have one Sunday morning. They build multi-million dollar buildings to have one service on a Sunday morning. I will never so help me, God, I will never do that. Well, we should be here Sunday morning. Uh, okay. They, they, they had a job, and they couldn't get there, but they can come Sunday night. Do you think you should have a Sunday night? You're going to wear yourself out. You wear, you already worn yourself out. I am wearing myself out. I'm going to stay on fire. I'm going to stay full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And I got a system of people around me to help me if I start getting a little bit, you know, I'm going to need to take a break soon. I am. After the power conference, I'm taking a week off. Why? Because I need one right around then. I don't need it now, but I might, I might need it then. So I've planned it. You can wear yourself out. You can. 
You get outside the anointing, you get outside the God enablement, and you start doing stuff that doesn't fill you and flood you, then you get, you put me in an administrative role solely, I'd die. Within the first week, I'd be dead. Thank God for those who like crossing things off and making lists, but that sure ain't me. Only thing I like to cross off is the devil, sickness, infirmity, preach, pray, prophesy. That's the way he wired me up. All right. It was joyful. Look at five. It was joyful. Worship team, would you come? Play some joyful music. It was joyful. Some of you say, you have too much joy in your church. Really? People like repent for being more depressed. Joy marked the first century church. Joy marks a spirit-filled, a spirit-filled church is marked with joy. You just, I've had people say, I need to, I'm going to pray for you. I want to be a part of your intercessory team. They just look like they're being tortured. I'm like, you know, no, I, I think maybe you need some prayer first. What do you think? Maybe you want to be a part of that. There's this miserable, I'm carrying a burden of the Lord. I'm carrying a burden. It's just really heavy. Like, show me the scripture for where you should contort your face like that and look like you're being tortured. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord's your strength. I understand weeping endures for a night, but in the morning there's joy. They were glad and sincere hearts, right in your notes. They praised God. That glad and sincere means no bumps, no wrinkles. They feared the Lord. They what? They feared the Lord. It was a church where miracles took place. Miracles ought to be everyday fair in the kingdom. Did you have miracles this week? Too many to count. I didn't see anybody raised from the dead that I'm aware of. But I was walking and my shadow fell on some people, so I'm not sure what happened to them. They looked dead. Maybe they came to life afterwards. But I don't know. The ones I know about? Here's one. Met a guy who said, hey, that Sunday night over there, pastor, was really something. I said, oh, yeah, it was. He said, you know, I was talking to somebody, and they were there. I wasn't there, but they were there. And they're friends of mine. I said, oh. He said, yeah, and they were talking like, they don't usually talk like that. Because this is clearly, I think, somebody who doesn't believe like we do. So he says, they don't talk like that. So I'm like, oh. He said, yeah, now they don't talk like that. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, I know what you're saying. He said, and there's another guy that's here. You know him, so-and-so. And he named him, and I do know the guy. He said, you know him, right? He definitely doesn't talk like that, right? I'm like, right. He says, and he was talking like that too. I said, whoa. I said, why? And he said, you know, he, he can't stop talking like that, as a matter of fact. I said, wow. He's, I said, I think you need to come. He says, I think you're right. Soon, he's going to talk like that. Come on, somebody. All right, miracles taking place. It was a witnessing church. All right, God's speaking to us, and I've, my time is, is, is gone, and you're hungry. So, God speak to us. Be committed. Everybody say, be committed. I, I read this uh, letter online, and it was about a church in Winston-Salem. And this Julian Bob Clark received a letter from their church. And, quote, it says this. They asked them, 
participate in the, quote, participate, we're asking you to please participate in the life of the church, end quote, or go somewhere else. That's pretty aggressive. I'm not going to send you that letter. We won't be doing that. But it is my sincere prayer. And here's what the pastor says. No more Mr. Nice Church, says the executive pastor. Bigger is not always better. Providing free services indefinitely with complacent Christians is not our mission. Freeloading Christians need to wake up. And they need to serve in the nursery, help with facilities. They need to serve. It is an unbiblical thing to be a part of a church and not serve. So we've asked people to move on if they don't want to be a part of a place that serves. I'm not going to send you the letter and I invite you and praise that you, I pray that you continue to come. But I will also tell you that as you're getting discipled and you're here and you don't start serving, you're not fulfilling the, the biblical mandate of really being a, a Christian, certainly a spirit-filled Christian. And I'm not going to, we're going to encourage you and I pray that the Holy Spirit touches you. If you have a freeloading spirit, you can be set free today. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Some of you are like, uh, what? Just learning the word is not enough. You need to do the word. And that happens, that maturity happens. And you learn, you develop a, a relationship with people that you can lean on and they can lean on you through fellowship and through serving. It's very, very important. All right. Since we're the church, we need to embrace and live out seven characteristics. And I'm gonna move quickly because my time is gone. Number one, be a disciple. Be disciples and a student of God's word. Everybody say, I'm gonna be a disciple. Come on, a student of God's Word. Number two, care for others. Take time to care for people. Take time to have fellowship. Take someone out for coffee. So I can't afford it. Then look for somebody else to take you out. Amen? Get to know people. Invite them to your home. No, no, I can't come to my home. All right, well, we'll meet them. Get to know people. We all need, we all need each other. And everybody needs to tell their story. Be a, be a giver. Everybody say, be a giver. All right, learn to tithe, learn to give, walk in covenant relationship with God in every area, including your money. Truly worship regularly and pray. Don't just come on a Sunday morning once a month. Who could, I was going to say, who could eat once a month and survive? Well, when you're fasting, I guess it's true, you can. But mostly, this is not something that you should partake in once a month. Don't be a creaster. That's where you go to church Christmas and Easter. It doesn't even sound good. And it's not a biblical, it's not biblical. You say, well, I get so uncomfortable. Well, repent. Be joyful, praise God, yet fear God, hold Him in awe. Everybody say, Lord, give me the fear of the Lord. Yeah, and be joyful. If you're not happy, if you're not filled with joy, what's the problem? There might be one. Sing praise to God. All right. Believe for miracles. Everybody say, believe for miracles. Believe for miracles to take place every time we gather. Not only every time we gather, in your life. When somebody says, I have a report of cancer, and they tell you that at the job, for the love of God, let the, let the power of God be stronger than your own emotions of feeling rejected or feeling like a weirdo. You are weird. But it's even more weird that you wouldn't reach out to have love enough for somebody. I'm trying, trying to get you, trying to get you going. We're a spirit-filled church. Say it. We're a 
Spirit-filled church. Testify to what God's done for you. When's the last time you won somebody to Christ? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? Testify. Now I can just tell you right now that there's a place in Kauai, and I've used this illustration before. Brick Oven Pizza in Kalaheo, Kauai has one of the best pizzas in the world. And I'm from New York originally. Shock, shock. New York is, there's no, this just as good as New York pizza. Now I can't tell you about that pizza unless I've had a slice and I have gorged myself, even had to put a knife to my throat having been there before. The point is, how are you gonna tell somebody about the power of God? How are you gonna tell something about the miracles he's done when maybe you haven't tasted and seen that he's good? What do I do about that? Keep coming. Keep coming. Get hungry. Get thirsty. Answer altar. What do people think about me? There's only two or three people that like you anyway, so who cares? Just come to the front and get prayer. What if God, what if you met God in a way that transformed your life? That everybody in your family, like, what happened to you? And you'd be able to tell, I had the pizza from heaven. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit-filled another spirit-filled aspect. They were filled with the spirit. Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, Acts 19. You see, in all of those texts, either the baptism of the spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues is taught or it's inferred. But in Acts 19, Paul comes upon some believers and asks them, hey guys, how's it? Hey, what's up? Have you guys received the Holy Spirit since you first believed? Can you imagine going up to someone from some other church and the first thing you say to them, hey, how's it going? Hey, praise God. You praise God. I'm praising God. Hey, you've been filled with the Spirit, the evidence of speaking in tongues? I've never even heard there's such. The Apostle Paul thought he was talking to believers in Jesus. Okay, I understand that. But they found out that there were believers in John baptism. Then they got born again. Then they got filled with the Spirit. You need the baptism. It takes God to live for God. Say that. It takes God to live for God. So well, I've, I've, tried, I've tried to pray in tongues. What, that might be the problem. You have to surrender. He said, well, that didn't happen for me. And I, mostly people overthink things. I answered an altar call for a year straight, I think. Every time I go over the front, I want to be filled with the Spirit. Pastor Karen, she was... I don't know. She got saved and a few weeks later. She's, you know, at her house and she starts singing and all this unusual sounds start coming out. She's like, oh, I got my prayer language. I'm like, yeah, great. <laughs> if you had to fight for it and contend for it, that it can be like that sometimes. But just because you haven't been baptized in the spirit and given a prayer language, now prayer language when given corporately out loud can also be prophecy. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Build up your most holy faith, Book of Jude. Pray in the Holy Spirit. So if you haven't been filled with the Spirit, then ask God to do it and put aside your judgments of it and ask God, well, I don't want Him to just... It's not going to grab your tongue and wave it around. You have to open your mouth. And, and some of you just overthink things. Or you have a blockage like sin. You know, you have that thing, that, that, that thing under there. <sighs> My precious. And you hold on to that. And so you're wanting to get filled, but you still have that. <laughs> yeah, you get to get rid of that. Because <laughs> you got to live holy. Come on, somebody say amen. 
Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.